Please turn your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If you're using the Bible provided for you here in Fairfield, I think that it should be on page 807. 1 Corinthians is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church he founded in the Greek city of Corinth. And in chapter 2, uh, Paul is contrasting human wisdom to God's wisdom, where human wisdom is a selfish, short-sighted way of thinking that comes naturally uh, to fallen people. And God's wisdom is a spiritual supernatural way of thinking that God gives to those who follow Jesus through his indwelling spirit. Well, today we want to talk more about what this supernatural thought process is and also what it means to think, what it means to think with God's wisdom in our everyday lives. So let's read the final verses of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting with verse 13. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The Spirit, the person without the Spirit, does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them, because they are discerned only through the Spirit." The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Today we're going to focus our thoughts on those last words of this chapter. We have the mind of Christ. What does Paul mean that those who God fills with his spirit have the mind of Christ? Well, in the context of this letter, Paul means that God empowers his people to think like Jesus in this world so that they can live like Jesus in this world. God fills his people with his spirit so that they can live like Jesus in this world, so that they can supernaturally love uh, by even loving their enemies, so they can supernaturally serve others, even to the point of self-sacrifice, so that they can supernaturally bring others to Jesus by the way they live with joy and confidence and peace and power. Power and purpose. But God knows that the only way His people can uh, love and serve and live like Jesus is if they think like Jesus. And Paul tells us in detail uh, what it means to think like Jesus and have the mind of Christ. Now, Paul doesn't uh, put that in detail here in this letter in 1 Corinthians, but in another letter he wrote to uh, the church in the Greek city of Philippi, where Paul states in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5, 
here have the same mind as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And in these words, Paul lists the elements of the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ is a way of thinking that is unselfish, humble, serving, loving, sacrificing, and, this is a key point, obedient to God's will, even to the point of death. This is the mind of Christ. This is God's wisdom, which is the opposite of human wisdom. Whereas the mind of Christ is a, an unselfish, humble, serving, self-giving, and obedient way of life to God's will, human wisdom is about me first, mine, my way, look at me, my will, and not God's will. So there's the problem. The problem is that God wants to fill me with the mind of Christ, but my inner selfishness and the outer world fills my mind with something else that is the opposite. Now, by the world here, uh, I mean worldview. Uh, that there is a worldview promoted by our culture. We're not here to say that the world is bad uh, or that we should walk around in fear. No, there are many good things in this world and in our culture. But the worldview that is pushed upon uh, Christ-following people every day contains lies that are opposed to God's worldview as revealed in Scripture. So if we want to say yes to the mind of Christ, then we must learn to say no to the thoughts uh, that oppose a Christ-centered worldview. Uh, this is what we'd like to talk about uh, on this first ever Worldview Sunday. And to help us think through the worldview challenges that we face, um, I've asked uh, two published authors to join me in a panel discussion. Uh, our first panelist is Maria Furlow. Uh, Maria was first an attender here at BlackRock, and then from 2002 to 2007, uh, Maria was employed uh, by our youth department, uh, first as an intern and then as our middle school director. Uh, using her experiences uh, in leading students here at BlackRock, uh, Maria has written a book entitled, Your Daughter Needs a Hero. And Maria now lives in North Carolina with her husband Dave and three kids. And now our second panelist is Dr. Wayne Detzler. Uh, besides being an elder here at Black Rock, Wayne is also a distinguished professor of cross-cultural apologetics and missions at Southern Evangelical Seminary in Charlotte, North Carolina, and a professor of world history at Sacred Heart University here in Fairfield. 
Wayne is the author of many books, including a book on worldview called Cross-Cultural Apologetics. Uh, Maria's book is available out in our uh, Welcome Center today for purchase for your library. Uh, Wayne's book is available online, and I believe if you catch him, there's a few in his trunk, in his car. So uh, uh, would you now please welcome Marie, uh, Maria Furlow and Dr. Wayne Detzler. Maria, uh, God has uh, called you to uh, work with students and uh, now to write uh, in a way that uh, helps students uh, think according to a uh, Christ-centered uh, worldview. Uh, as you see it, uh, what are the, uh, the biggest uh, challenges for uh, young men and women as they seek to have the mind of Christ? Well, I think that um, the most difficult thing facing them right now is just the bombardment of lies that are thrown at them from the world and the media and culture. And it's gotten so difficult to distinguish lies from the truth. Um, And, you know, God warns us very clearly of this in John chapter 8. It says, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And, you know, this verse is talking about Satan, and he is so crafty at the way he communicates to us. And for me, as a young girl starting at 10 years old, it was just a small little idea of, you know, if if you work a little bit harder... And you maybe eat a little bit less and do a little bit more physical activity, you'll feel better about yourself. Or if you just work a little bit harder, maybe you could be skinnier and maybe that would be better for you. And as a young girl, I was unable to even realize that that was not the truth and that is not what God has for our lives as far as how we see ourselves. And it's the same thing for young women today. They um, define themselves in their beauty and their worth in the way that they look. Um, and for young men, I see them struggling in the ways of just the, um, the communication portrayed to them of, of women in the way that they look. You know, my husband and I were on a, um, a, a road trip, and we could not drive down the highway without seeing billboards after billboards after billboards of uh, women, you know, barely dressed and just communicating to them how they should view women. And um, it's so hard, and it's an endless battle of the spirit God has given in you. Um, but then your flesh and your body just knowing deep down inside that these are lies, but not having um, being equipped with understanding that they're lies really challenges you to be able to have that mind of Christ like you were talking about this morning. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the, uh, this body image obsession. Where did that lead you? Oh, yes. Um, well, for me, um, as a young girl, you know, healthy dieting and things like that, you know, I was too young to understand that. So I just stopped eating lunch at school or, you know, um, my mom would pack me something and I would, you know, throw it away. Or later on in high school, it turned to dieting pills and just a constant, um, um, giving into boys or just wanting attention from my friends and, um, to try and fill that void, to try and help that insecurity along or fix what the world was throwing at me. Um, but that just makes the void even greater. So you're pointing to the, uh, the materialistic, sexualized worldview uh, that is uh, a lie and how this, this lie then can be a real challenge to 
particularly our students, uh, in terms of a body image uh, obsession and then also a, a, a pornography uh, addiction that can really be uh, uh, really destructive. Uh, Wayne, uh, moving now to the uh, other life stages uh, beyond uh, uh, our students. Uh, it doesn't get any easier in the adult world. Uh, the lies actually become more subtle and even more destructive in many ways. Um, what, uh, as you see it, are, is the, the biggest worldview uh, threat uh, to those uh, here of us, uh, men and women in southwestern Connecticut, uh, as we seek to have the mind of Christ? Well, Steve, I actually remember high school. It was a long time ago, and I think they've destroyed the high schools I went to since then. Uh, <laughs> But I think the, the biggest lie really came to the United States probably uh, maybe 20 or 30 years ago with the concept of postmodernism, that there is no right or wrong. Uh, it's just how it relates to me, how I feel about it. The only standard of right and wrong becomes me. And a verse keeps hammering in my mind that my dad taught me many years ago. It's from the book of Proverbs, chapter 14, verse 12. It says, there's a way that seems right to humanity, but the end is the way of death. And we have bought into the concept of postmodernism that there is no absolute truth. There's nothing true for all people at all times in all places. And this has become one of the main challenges to the Christian worldview. Um, at Sacred Heart, I ask every class, I teach freshmen at Sacred Heart, so I get them the year after high school. And I ask them, is there anything that's true for all people in all times and all places? I have never, ever had a student in the five years that I've taught there say, yes, there is. So now I'm teaching degree completion people, adults. I ask the same question, and no one says that there's such a thing as absolute truth. I think the greatest challenge that we have to the Christian worldview is the, the abolition of, of absolute truth. And uh, so there is no right, there is no wrong, and the, uh, the worldview... Uh, that uh, that we swim in, uh, how does that propose a threat to uh, to the person who wants to have the mind of Christ? Well, well, the threat it proposes is that there cannot be absolute truth about God or absolute truth about Jesus Christ, and worst of all, absolute truth about me, as right. Maria was emphasizing, that there is no such thing as what's true for me. It's just whatever feels good in any given situation. Mm -hmm. And, and that is a very deceptive concept. Isn't it Jeremiah 17:9 that says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And it just points up the, the, the danger of, of, being, uh, of setting myself up as the criterion of right and wrong. Right. And I think the other, uh, the other destructive aspect of that uh, worldview is that if there is no right or wrong, then it, it takes away any kind of sense that I need to get serious about my own sin. And, uh, and so why, why challenge uh, the, the human wisdom with, uh, with God's wisdom if there is no uh, right or wrong? Uh, so, Maria, we have this prevailing uh, worldview that uh, says there's really no such thing as sin. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with the uh, culture's... Uh, body image obsession or even pornography. There's nothing wrong with that. So uh, what would you say? Uh, what, is, uh, uh, what is the reason why it's important uh, to combat these, uh, these worldview thoughts? And uh, what can a student do uh, to develop the mind of Christ? I would say it's first so important to 
um, take out what is in the darkness and bring it into the light. And that's something that has just been laid on my heart over and over again through this process. And it says in Ephesians, for you were once in darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Live as children of light. And because there's a secret part inside of me um, that nobody knew about. My parents didn't know about it. My friends, I didn't talk to them about it. Um, and they couldn't see it because on the outside and in my life and in my actions, I was a good student. I was active in sports. I seemed like a confident young lady. And so they were unable to understand that there was this whole part of um, my being inside my mind that was motivating me to do unhealthy and destructive behaviors. Uh, you know, for, for teens, it could be drugs or alcohol or just giving into physical temptation motivated, not because, yes, this is a choice that I want to make for myself. I want to participate in these things, but kind of stumbling into those choices because you don't feel strong enough or worthy enough to do anything else for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the theme of bringing what is in the darkness and in your faith, taking it and pushing it into the light. And, you know, for me, it was first admitting to people which was really hard that I had this struggle because a lot of them were surprised and shocked. Um, And then seeking to learn more about what does God say about this? What does he want for me? If this is what the world wants for me and it's clearly not healthy, what does God want for me? And um, there's resources and, and, and reading and just constant dialogue with people sharing about that struggle and learning that most of us struggle with that. Most, most young women do Um, for men. You know, what has helped my husband indefinitely is creating a dialogue with at least one or two accountability partners that there are certain images, movies, magazines, pictures that they will not look at. They they won't bring into their home. They don't actively seek out. And if they do, there's accountability in that and talking about it and understanding and not being ashamed of it. Um, You know, it, it is something that's so out there, but Satan likes to keep it secret within us. And um, to just admit that struggle to one or two people so they can help you through that um, can be a freeing process. And it's the start of um, of living out what God's truth that he has for your life is bringing it out of the darkness into the light. Mm-hmm. Maria's brought up, I think, two really serious uh worldview challenges that have uh, destructive consequences and I speak now certainly to adults but especially to uh, young men and women here uh, if the body image uh, obsession leads to a dis- an eating disorder or uh, the uh, pornography uh, temptation leads to a pornography addiction uh, there are resources here at BlackRock to help. Uh, we have a female counselor on staff. Uh, we have pastors who are ready to help uh, in, with full confidentiality. And so reach out uh, to us here at BlackRock uh, for that kind of help uh, or other sources. Uh, don't just uh, uh, be passive about, uh, about this uh, very destructive uh, problem that has uh, long-term uh, effects in your life. Uh, Wayne, uh, for adults, the uh, the consequences of uh, these lies in some ways are even more serious because uh, we're parents uh, who uh, are influencing our kids and grandparents who are influencing our grandkids. And it's uh, extremely important for us to have the mind of Christ for ourselves and also for those uh, we influence. So what can we do to overcome uh, some of the challenges that uh, these false worldviews uh, bring upon our lives and develop the mind of Christ. 
Well, I've been thinking this morning as you've been speaking, Steve, of how often this phrase is repeated in Scripture. For instance, in uh, Philippians 2, verse 5, it says, Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. And in Romans 12, 2, it says, Don't let the world press you into its mold. You know? <laughs> and it keeps talking about the mind, the transformation of the mind. Uh, many years ago, Margaret and I committed our, our lives to a life of, of discipleship ministry, and I would say that's been our main ministry for the last 50 years in ministry. And we realized that life uh, discipleship is really worldview change. It's changing from the worldview of the world to the worldview of Christ. And this becomes a, a crucial issue in the, in the renewing of our minds. When I came back from overseas in 1983, uh, I went to Carol, my daughter, who is a high school teacher, and said, what do I need to know about teaching in America in order to survive without getting killed? Um, and, and she said, uh, there's one word I want to give you, Dad. As a Christ follower, the key word is mercy. Show mercy to your students. And I had to learn what that meant to show mercy to my students. One morning, a student athlete at Sacred Heart walked into my off, into the classroom, and, she's, and she was crying. And I said, what's wrong? She said, my family called last night, and they're breaking up, and I don't know what to do. And I'm just at the end. I don't know what to do. And I, we, we spent a, a day, uh, a, a, most part of an hour before class together, and then I prayed with her and, and was able to be with her through that experience. And it was helpful to show mercy uh, to her in that. I, I'm teaching history students who have hated history all their lives, you know, and... Uh, their worst nightmare is Dr. Detzler. And, and, uh, uh, and, and I, I say to my students, my job is to get you an A in this course. And I will do everything in my power to get you an A if you just work with me. And, and I, I try to show mercy in how to, and cultivate their ability to learn. Excellent. Maria, uh, give, give a word to, uh, to parents. Um, uh, what can parents do to help uh, their young men and women to uh, influence them toward uh, a mind of uh, the mind of Christ and to support them as they uh, seek to do this? Well, the first thing that I would just love to share is that, um, you know, regardless of how a son or daughter is acting towards their parents, uh, you know, pretending like they don't care, ignoring them, really just dismissing them. Uh, I went through a phase like that as a teenager, and my parents thought I was not paying attention to anything they were doing or saying. Um, but the truth is, is that I was, and I was soaking it all in, and I was watching them. I saw all their decisions. I heard all their discussions. I watched them model what it was to be a man and a woman when they were not even thinking that I was paying attention to them. Uh, you know, I feel a little bit bad for my mom and my dad. Most of the things that, that they realized that I was watching, they had to read in my book. <laughs> so that was a little bit, you know, my dad jokes um, to encourage dads not to wait till their daughter writes a book about them to understand all the things that um, they could work on. Um, but a, a mother's choice of how she handles dieting, how she handles exercise, how she handles her body image and her insecurity and her choices, uh, a daughter is watching. And the same thing goes for, for the young men and their fathers. They are watching to see how dad handles these images that surround them and watching their dad to see how they handle how you treat and um, honor a woman. And so... Um, Two things that I've just noticed as I've been, you know, going through the process of, you know, talking with families and teens for this book writing process is that the awesome thing was is that when there was a mother who was secure in who she was in Christ and confident in the body God gave her, her daughter followed really close 
close suit. And the same thing for, for the young men, for the fathers who took serious this challenge of, you know, combating the lie of sexuality in the media, um, their son was, was close to follow. Um, the second thing that I would um, say that is important for, for parents to remember is um, to just try and keep a, um, <clears throat> a sensitive eye and ear out to the lies that the world is throwing in. They, they, they sneak into our home in so many different ways, whether it's television or the books we read or magazines. And I don't necessarily think that you don't bring those things into your home or that you just shun them out, but that you dialogue about them and you talk about them with your kids, even if they don't want to. I promise someday that they will thank you <laughs> and um, be thankful for that. And just be specific and intentional about um, what you let into your home, uh, internet usage and television watching and things like that. Um, the, one of the, my favorite sections of the book is when I, um, I ask feedback from young girls. And one of the things I asked them um, was, what was one thing that your parents let you do that you wish that they never let you do? And they wrote about, you know, not letting them be alone with boys or not letting them make certain decisions. And it's interesting because those are the things that the girls were asking for permission. You know, that we're very good at negotiating what we really don't want for ourselves. And so for parents to just be empowered and strengthened, it might not be the popular choice at the time. Um, but looking back, I can say that it, um, it would be helpful. I love that, Maria, that uh, deep down students want their parents uh, to be active uh, and to set clear boundaries and enforce clear boundaries. And that uh, all parents are going to make mistakes, but the worst mistake that a parent can make is being passive. And being a passive when it comes to uh, the uh, exposures that uh, their students are getting. Uh, that's a great word for active uh, parenting. Uh, Wayne, I'm sure you would agree that uh, passivity hurts us in uh, every area when it comes to our thought life uh, because the mind of Christ is actively living like Jesus, including uh, actively reaching out with uh, the good news of uh, Jesus. What are some ways that we can build bridges uh, to our neighbors? Uh, and there, there, many of them are blinded by false worldviews. What can we do to uh, uh, move them toward Jesus? I, I think there are at least three things we can do. The first thing that I've found in my life is I have to actually step out of my comfort zone and be part of the community I live in. Really hard to do. Uh, we were living in Meriden back in the 1980s, and a friend challenged me to step out of my comfort zone and become chaplain for the Meriden Fire Department. And every firehouse was filled with profanity. Every firehouse was filled with, with everything you can imagine in those days. And uh, I became chaplain of the Meriden Fire Department. That led to 20 years with various fire departments. And I recently accepted, I hope, my last appointment as the chaplain of the Long Hill Fire Department in Trumbull, which is the most challenging one I've ever had. And uh, they give you the rank of assistant chief so you can at least bark orders. But, but if, as I move around firefighters, I, I learn that they're open and they want to talk. I can remember after a terrible fatal fire one night, sitting under a tree with a, a lieutenant, putting my arm around him and praying for him. And one of the newspaper photographers grabbed that and put it in the newspaper the next day, and I wished he hadn't. But it showed that, that I could just be there at the right time at the right place. The second thing we need to do is to, is to pray for our neighbors. Actually pray for them. 
One of my neighbors is, is with another one of the Trumbull Fire Departments. He's the president of the other fire department. And I pray for him every day. I pray for safety. I pray that the Lord will draw him to himself. I pray that the Lord will open his heart and that we'll be able to share with each other and that I can uh, be the, the means of bringing him to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the thing that Steve prompted me with, and I was glad for this, he said, why don't we pray with them? Pray with them, too. Um, yesterday, we had a wonderful day with the Sanctuary Gang here at, uh, at Blackrock. It was just one of the high points of my life. And after the formal sessions, we prayed for almost two hours with members of Sanctuary uh, one-on-one. And it was just such a touching experience. And I realized how much we need to do that as part of our uh, expression of the worldview uh, that is ours in Christ Jesus. That's great. So uh, we've g- received, I think, some uh, some interesting uh, information, but now it's uh, it's time for us to uh, to apply this to our lives, and uh, that the mind of Christ is. Uh, is something that we can't be passive about. Uh, it's something that God wants to do in our, our lives. He wants us to teach us how to think with his wisdom. But it's not the kind of thing that is uh, just a process uh, of osmosis uh, and passivity. We need to be active in having the mind of Christ. And I think we've heard uh, today some, uh, some ways to uh, take those uh, first steps toward uh, having the mind of Christ in a way that means that we're not going to be just influenced by uh, the worldviews around us, but we'll actually be able to be influencers. We'll be uh, what Jesus has called us to be, light and salt in this world. Uh, would you please stand now as we close? And as you do, uh, would you just thank uh, Maria and Wayne for uh, participating in our panel today? <laughs>